Our guest today on Latin Pulse, welcome back to Dr. Michael Atwood Mason, the director of the Smithsonian Center for Folklife and Cultural Heritage. He is the author of Living Centuria, Rituals and Experiences in Afro-Cuban Religion. He is also going to be the author of an upcoming article for Smithsonian.com, the Smithsonian website, on San Lazaro. And, and we want to talk to you about San Lazaro and, and how important he is and, and the feast day. I've had uh, Cuban clerics who are not practitioners of Santeria tell me this is the most important religious feast day in Cuba. I would say that the Feast of St. Lazarus is, in fact, the most important feast day in Cuba. Many people, laity and clergy alike, will will make clear that St. Lazarus is the most popular saint in Cuba, along with uh, St. Barbara and Our Lady of Charity, who is officially the patron saint of the island. I think the popularity comes from a whole number of things. Uh, First of all, the Christian tradition brings uh, a a complicated set of uh, stories and images related to St. Lazarus. The official St. Lazarus was a bishop, uh, but in the popular imagination, St. Lazarus uh, is, is the, both the Lazarus of the Bible, who is Jesus' cousin, and also the Lazarus of the parable about the rich man and the poor man and the ability of the poor man to make it into heaven when the rich man cannot. Uh, because Cubans historically struggled consistently with issues of poverty on a, for many people on an annual cyclical basis because of the harvest, the sugar harvest. Um, you really have a, a kind of an image of the divine in its most abject form, in its most downtrodden form. The popular image of St. Lazarus He has open sores on his legs, he's walking on crutches, and he's accompanied by dogs who are um, literally cleaning his wounds as he walks. It's an incredible image of humility. And I think that is a significant part of why this is so popular. Because on one level, this is a reality for all human beings. And and because it ties so directly to the, the history of the island, it's really meaningful for people. I, there's also a long tradition of St. Lazarus being considered miraculous. So many people have got stories in their families or in their own life experience of going to St. Lazarus for some kind of healing when things were were really at their worst. And so there's a there's a lived experience of this being a, a face of the divine that that responds, that comes through and, and delivers people in a way that's really, really wonderful. Um, I want uh, I should say that there's a, also a, a very popular festival um, that surrounds this and, and was allowed, uh, has been allowed really consistently throughout the revolution. At, uh, hundreds of thousands of people walk from all over the island, but mostly from Havana, out um, to the town of Rincon, just south uh, of the city. It's about 38 uh, kilometers from from the sea. People walk, uh, usually on December 16th, and and wait for the arrival of December 17th, St. Lazarus' feast day, at this church, which is also 
um, a hospital for lepers. People make this pilgrimage as a promise often to, they say that if, if St. Lazarus heals them, they will uh, make the pilgrimage or um, or if St. Lazarus heals their child, they'll take their child for seven years. Uh, so again, there's a, there's a major ritual marking of this event and uh, people, hundreds and thousands of people have been involved in that. And so it, it really resonates in a, in a very deep way uh, with Cubans of all kinds of different backgrounds. So this, this theme of, of healing, suffering and, and sickness and then healing, on the other hand, is a major part of what makes St. Lazarus really stand out for Cubans. But this is really a, a, a feast day, not just for those who are practitioners of Santeria, Santeros, um, but for many people on the island. But why did those who are practitioners of Santeria adopt this You've, you've described a history that is really uh, rich in, in the Christian heritage. Right, so I've been talking about the Christian heritage, really. The, the Afro-Cuban heritage uh, dovetails really nicely with that, and, and that is the case with most of these uh, adoptions that the Afro-Cuban community made at some point, beginning probably in the early 1800s and being fairly stable by the early 1900s, where uh, a Catholic saint is strongly associated with a specific deity from the Afro-Cuban pantheon. So in the case of St. Lazarus, the crutches, the abject quality, the sickness is completely consonant with the identity of Babalu Aye, uh, who is in Nigeria, a god of infectious disease and healing. And so you get this very natural shared uh, kind of um, iconography that, that, that resonate uh, across the traditions and allows them to meld in a very comfortable way. And most people are, uh, most people are not too preoccupied about who they're actually addressing in the divine world. They, they just, they come to the divine world because um, th they have faith or they have some kind of need and they think the spirits are going to help them resolve whatever issues they're dealing with. So uh, regular folks don't argue too much about whether they're talking to St. Lazarus or whether they're talking to Babalu Aye. Um, and, and in fact, Babalu Aye is complicated enough and rich enough um, within Santeria to, to have actually even more significant and subtle variations for people who are in the know. But that, that engagement around healing uh, and, and deliverance from some kind of serious illness is a very, is a very natural point of connection between St. Lazarus and Babalu Aye. I think it's also really interesting and, and important to think about the fact that Babalu Aye, the name, is actually a, uh, it's an epitaph that's used because his actual name is thought to invoke him so powerfully that to say it would actually bring epidemics upon people, and obviously no one wants illness. Uh, but Babalu Aye can be translated comfortably as father, lord of the earth, 
or Father Lord of the world. And that, that connection to the earth, again, is this very, very humble, but also omnipresent aspect of life. And connects, I think, in really meaningful ways to the body. And it's important to note here that in Afro-Cuban tradition, almost without fail, people are taught from the very earliest involvement, whether they come in as children or whether they come in in their 80s, one of the first things that they are taught is that every time you pray, you have to ask for health, that health is the most important thing. And so, again, this is the space, uh, the domain, if you will, that, that Baba Luaye takes responsibility for. And it's, it's tremendously idiosyncratic or individualized is maybe a better word. Um, it's individualized in that we know in Western medicine, if, if I'm sick, a doctor might give me medicine that they gave five other people and it might've worked for the five other people. And it, we might have the same illness, but it might not work for me. Uh, and so there have to be adjustments made. Well, Afro-Cuban practitioners treat Babalu Aye in very much the same way. And so there's remarkable individualization of the way in which he, his, his sacred objects are, are created and, and to a lesser extent um, honored and, and maintained uh, on, on altars in people's houses across the island. Um, one of his big areas of responsibility is, um, is secrecy. So th there are traditions that um, seal the vessels that hold his sacred objects so that the people, the elders who actually consecrate those objects uh, put things in that no one else knows about and then they're sealed in and that secrecy is never violated. Um, at, at the same time, there's stories about Baba Luaye traveling and um, sitting down on a rock and suddenly being able to divine and, and to prophesy so that the secrecy of, of these ritual vessels which are sealed and, and which hide the, the medicine that is individually uh, confected for a particular person is juxtaposed in a really lovely way with revelation and the ability to prophesy. Um, that, that's another one of the interesting dynamics within the world of Babalu Aye. Another aspect of Babalu Aye that Afro-Cuban religious practitioners talk about is that he, there are times when Baba Luaye is conceived of as the wrath of Oludumare, the wrath of God, so that illness is sometimes experienced, cast in terms of punishment. The antidote to that is a certain kind of righteousness. Um, righteousness is not a word that Cubans really use uh, in this context, in my experience, but they, they, uh, they do tend to think in a kind of, uh, you know, in, in binaries or in, in polarities, if you will. Uh, so, so what happens in these circumstances is that people are actually punished 
they perceive themselves as being punished by illness and and by changing their behavior they're able to then uh, recover and that's a, a fascinating and if complicated way of imagining illness and and in fact there are people who are afraid of Babalu Aye because of this there's an enormous amount of respect for Babalu Aye in fact I have a an old uh, colleague who's who said to me more than once you can negotiate with the other deities but you cannot negotiate with Babalu Aye and you cannot play with Babalu Aye so there's a there's a gravity there's a uh, a gravitas uh, a seriousness uh, about engaging with Babalu Aye that is incredibly widespread does the popularity of this feast day speak then to the very much importance of Santeria on the island now that it is really the dominant religion when we talk about Cuba? I would certainly say that Afro-Cuban religious traditions are the most prevalent forms of religious engagement and expression on the island at this point. Um, that would include Santeria, that would include Palomonte and Palomayombe, um, that would include certain expressions of uh, spiritism, but not all of them. But you, you have a, a world of uh, interrelated and regularly interacting religious traditions, which do make up the traditions of the majority of people on the island. And, and the Feast of St. Lazarus is a moment where all of that spills out literally into the streets. And you have all of you have millions, sorry, you have thousands of people walking. You have thousands of people going to the town of Rincon uh, to to honor St. Lazarus and or Babalu Aye. Some of those people are Christian in a very strict way. Some of them are very fluid about it. Some of them are spiritists, but they have a they might have a misionero, a, a, a missionary spirit who was connected to St. Lazarus. And so they go uh, to honor that spirit um, and connect to the deity that that spirit honored in its life. Uh, some of those people will be um, Palo Mayombe practitioners. Some of those people will be Santeros who practice um, Santeria. And, and all of that, some of those people will imagine themselves as all of those things. But what you get is this incredibly dynamic outpouring uh, of expression because for whatever reason th this image and this story really resonates um, for for Cubans. I, I, as I said, I think a significant part of that has to do with people valuing health. I think a part of it has to do with a history uh, that includes a significant amount of scarcity. And I think it's also really important to think about the part of it, the actual movement of it. So people are walking long distances and um, there are stories about Babalu Aye walking from the land of the Lukumi to the land of the Arara or the, the land of the Yoruba speaking people to the land of the Fon speaking people in, in West Africa. That, that, that journey 
that Babalu Aye makes is a key part of his transformation in the stories about him. People are actually engaged in moving. I mean, even if you even if you don't walk, you're getting on a bus and going to the nearest town and, and they close the street five or seven kilometers out and you have to take a, a, a some kind of Sometimes it's a bus, sometimes it's a horse-drawn cart that functions like a bus, uh, sometimes it's a BC taxi, but you have to go to the next stop, and, and literally the street of the town of Rincon is closed for, for most of the 16th and 17th, and you have to walk uh, almost without fail. So this people are embodying that movement. Well, this is really interesting. In a country where, you know, some people have said, like most island nations, almost everybody is from somebody somewhere else. So the the moving and the ability to change who you are through movement, uh, whether that's moving from one country to another, whether that's moving from from the Canary Islands or from Galicia or Catalonia uh, in in Spain to Cuba to start over, or whether it's having been enslaved and and moved forcibly to Cuba this change that comes from from moving that image of transformation uh, is really deeply embedded in in Cuban experience and i think the the festival really resonates in in that way as well obviously at this point in history you have a significant number of cubans who have left the island and those people living in diaspora also really strongly identify with Babalu Aye as a powerful image that expresses their sense of connection to their homeland and their need to reestablish themselves in the place where they live now. What I hear you telling us, though, is that spirituality is very complex in Cuba, and that is something that that many folks in the mainstream in the U.S. would would not uh, imagine. A- a- absolutely, uh, the the religious life of Cuba is extraordinarily complex, and there are very powerful, rich traditions that have nothing to do with the Catholic Church or very little to do with the Catholic Church. And there's, I, I guess, I. I my approach to to working on this is to engage individuals and explore the way they talk about it and uh, describe their own experience because I'm an ethnographer and that's what we do. Um, I am less intrigued by sociological models, not to not to belittle them in any way, but that those are not the questions that drive my research. My research is really driven by questions about how people engage with what they perceive as the spiritual world and and how what that expresses about who they are and and um that if you approach it in that way cuba is unbelievably complex and i think it's important that americans really understand that you're talking about a place where that there is a strong history of Catholicism, but that Catholicism has never been particularly dogmatic. Uh, there's a rich tradition of folk Catholicism, and then you have 
religious traditions from phone-speaking phone people, from Yoruba-speaking people, from Bantu-speaking people. You've got uh, people of Chinese descent. You've got people of Arab descent. You have native people uh, in small numbers who remain, as well as enslaved people who were brought from the Yucatan. Uh, so there's a tremendously complicated set of origins, and all of that comes together. And the way Cubans have managed that, by and large, is to engage what seems important and meaningful to them at a particular time. As you know, recently we were in Cuba, and during that trip we had someone mention to us that one of the miracles of San Lazaro was the fact that the announcement of the opening between Cuba and the United States, the new diplomatic opening, was made on that particular day. Um, do you put any um, significance into that? Many of the people that I know in Cuba have pointed out to me that it happened on St. Lazarus's feast day, and for all the people who've mentioned it to me, they underscore that St. Lazarus is miraculous. And this seems like a miracle in a certain way, uh, an event that no one could have predicted, that no one thought was coming soon, that no one had imagined, and, and yet here it is. So in my mind, it, 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 it does, people in Cuba do certainly see it that way and see it as a manifestation of St. Lazarus, I mean. And I think it's also important to understand that it's a great example of the way in which the deities uh, in Santeria really resonate and, and people use them to make sense of the world, right? It, it, they're, they are taking this, this information and mapping it onto their experience. And, and that's, that's fascinating, and uh, it, it creates a, a really rich, textured sense of meaning in people's lives. Thanks for those insights. Our guest today on Latin Pulse, Michael Atwood Mason, the director of the Smithsonian Center for Folklife and Cultural Heritage, the author of Living Santeria, Rituals and Experiences in Afro-Cuban Religion, joining us via Skype from Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.